people think payroll particularly is a one-stop shop. Every system does the same thing. And there are basic fundamentals in the system, calculation of gross net, for example. But when you're looking at employee payrolls, there are HR sides of the system that you need to review. When you're looking at pension payrolls, it's the administration around the pension policies that can be really highly complex. So really go out and have a look at what different people offer and that will help you then establish what you need rather than what you want. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Payroll Podcast. Today I am joined by Jeanette Hibbert, who is Head of Customer Payroll at Legal and General. She's currently responsible for managing one of the largest pension payrolls in the country, as well as one of the largest payroll transformations the UK has ever seen. Now, Jeanette has significant board level expertise in the global payroll arena, and she also possesses the coveted MSc in payroll and business management, ranging from strategic leadership to operating models and process technology reviews to implementing change and improving compliance. Jeanette is a genuine expert when it comes to payroll projects and transformation. In fact, she's such an expert that I even engaged Jeanette Services to help us here at JJ Recruitment develop a white paper on the subject. Now, Jeanette is also a Reward 300 Hall of Famer, and she's quite the accomplished artist as well. Absolutely delighted to welcome you all to Jeanette Hibbert on the Payroll Podcast. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Welcome, Jeanette. How are you feeling today? I'm really good, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. Really delighted. I've been really keen to have you on ever since I launched this show. So got you involved to help JGA with a particular white paper on transformation. As an expert in this field, can you explain a little bit more about what that white paper is about and why in particular you focus on the early stages? Yeah, sure. So the reason why I was really keen to focus on the early stages of transformation is because I've seen a lot of projects not necessarily fail, but not always deliver exactly what's needed. And I think the reason why it doesn't deliver what's needed is because people don't spend enough time in the preparatory stages before they actually kick off the project to actually understand what they need. So they've got an idea of what they want. They might have seen something out of the in, in the industry that they're really keen on or they've heard something and they think they should be doing the same thing. But what they haven't actually done is really looked at what their business position is, what their stakeholders are looking for, what the appetite for change is in the business and kind of where they need to position themselves. So there's lots of different stages around that. And some of it can blend into the early stages of, of the project kickoff. But really, it's not about what you want, it's about what you need. And that's what a lot of businesses don't understand. And unless you're involved in transformation quite a lot, you get out of touch really quickly in terms of the capability that's out there, in terms of trends and ways of working and process improvements. Yeah. So really, really important to go through and spend a bit of time right at the start whether it's within your business or whether you engage a consultant to come in and help you do this, because 
this isn't something necessarily that you would have in your business unless you're a really large corporate so you wouldn't have somebody to be able to come in and look at your readiness for transformation so some of the things that we talk about are really about building your stakeholder maps so who can be engaged in the project but not just about people that are engaged within it it's about who who can impact it so when you build your maps it might be people that are not directly involved so senior board members and people in other functions that you might service but don't have a direct involvement in your day-to-day operations they may have actually quite a lot of influence and quite a lot of impacts on what you do and what you choose to select and whilst in the early stages that might not seem relevant it can really slow you down and sometimes completely derail a program if what they want or what they need doesn't match what you're doing so that's always really important and cannot be underestimated data everybody talks about data data's a real key issue and i've been into businesses and worked as a payroll manager on projects where this has been a real significant issue time and time again and people just completely underestimate how much time you have to spend on data now luckily i can say at legal in general that's really not the case but you need to make a decision how important it's going to be in the project and and you know what you need to do how good your data is whether it's going to cause a significant problem looking at your future options don't just go for the latest thing that you've seen out in the industry actually it's about business readiness so you know you need to do kind of a best fit versus best in class do you want a tier one supplier that will give you all singing all dancing absolutely everything you could ever possibly need when actually you only look after a thousand people and you don't actually need all of that and you might be blowing your business case out of the water if you're not looking at the other tiers of provider what they offer and how that matches with what your needs are in terms of how you service whether it's your employees whether it's your pensioners whether it's customers generally it's kind of where your business is and what that means in terms of your technological journey there's no point having really sophisticated best-in-class systems if your infrastructure doesn't support that so you know your your bandwidth between your sites if you've got multiple depots it's just not going to work and then you end up actually spending a lot more money than you planned in the budget by actually replacing the infrastructure and making that more mature so it's about the maturity of your business as a whole really and business readiness I think is probably one of my favorite areas because it is all about that kind of where are we in terms of standardization versus that unique customer experience where do you pit yourselves you know do you want everyone to feel like they've had a completely unique white glove service or are you looking to standardize and therefore make your offering more cost effective so there's lots of different things so are you looking at using your systems as a tool to enable operating model changes what do you need to do in terms of going out and engaging with vendors you need to have a look at what's on offer different vendors offer different solutions so People think payroll particularly is a one-stop shop. Every system does the same thing. And there are basic fundamentals in the system, calculation of gross net, for example. But when you're looking at employee payrolls, there are HR sides of the system that you need to review. When you're looking at pension payrolls, it's the administration around the pension policies that can be really highly complex. So 
really go out and have a look at what different people offer and that will help you then establish what you need rather than what you want obviously preparing for the RFP stage so looking at the list of requirements but how much do you actually need each one so which ones do you absolutely must implement which ones should you do it and which ones are nice to have so you've got it on your list but it's not essential and that way then you can really build weightings for your responses so you know really it's about preparing not failing to prepare definitely prepare to fail Nice. I always like finishing any question with a quote. It's a nicely put. Yeah. Nicely put. And you've touched on a couple of interesting points there. One is data. And obviously, we see now that data, they argue, is probably the most valuable commodity in the world. We know the future of payroll is very much entwined with data and how we manage it and how we best utilise the data at a payroll person's fingertips. Because actually, if we use it wisely, we can even make payroll a profitable function if it's used in the right way. So I think it's really important and, and great that you mentioned that point. And also I thought something that was interesting is you right at the start you talked about that relationship with stakeholders, finding out what you know what levels of control they have, how it might influence them. It's actually a really good opportunity to start building those relationships when you're going through a transformation with those stakeholders. I know sometimes there's a reticence to do that within payroll. You know, it can be quite siloed, it can be quite isolated, but actually it's a really good opportunity to to build your relationship with HR, build your relationship with finance. And as a result, hopefully we can raise the profile overall. But some really, really great points. And hopefully anyone listening to this will understand now why I got Jeanette to write that white paper, which is still available on our website to download. It's completely free. So if you're interested in finding out more and you want it in written form with some great diagrams and, and, and further analysis and uh, and commentary, then go to our website, jjrecruitment.com and download that. Uh, what I would like to do, Jeanette, is just rewind slightly because not everyone, despite my introduction, will necessarily know how you got to gain so much expertise in these fields. You know, it's, it's quite a unique field. There are lots of people out there that may have project experience, but yours is quite rounded. You've dealt with a number of different types of project. You've dealt with writing content. You've tutored and taught. Your wealth of expertise is, is, is far ranging. So can you just give the listeners a little bit of an insight into your background and how you've got to where you are today? Oh, good grief. I will certainly try. I started in payroll accidentally, as most people do. I was a sales administrator and part of my job in a recruitment firm, funnily enough, put the timesheets onto an electronic system and send them over to the central payroll function and do P45s and starters and things like that. And and actually, oddly, I enjoyed that more than the sales side of the role. So it was sales admin, so just writing out and um, formalising quotes and things like that. So I, I really enjoyed dealing with the temps that we were using. It was predominantly temps at the time. And really then kind of that really made me want to explore payroll a little bit more. So uh, I went out then and got a proper payroll job. I'm still not 100% sure how that happened, to be honest. I wasn't qualified by any stretch of the imagination. But what I was, I guess, was really enthusiastic, passionate about wanting to learn more and keen so yes got my first payroll job had to work really really hard and hit the ground running had to look and these these are in you know I've been in payroll 25 years so these are the days of manual SSP sheets and maternity sheets and I was calculating piecework on Lotus 123 I'm really showing my age now wow. um, and doing macros so did learn an awful lot there but that's also where I experienced my first project so they decided that um, we were using a payroll system called Pegasus 
really yeah. you know really old very basic but they wanted an enterprise-wide solution for not just for payroll but for their stock control for their accounts for their sales for everything so we were moving onto a system that would look after everything so all of a sudden all of those bits of work that I was doing the piecework particularly um, everything had to all fit together so I got really heavily involved in that project and not just from the, the payrolls kind of like the jam in the sandwich isn't it it's the bit where you've already fed into it from a HR perspective you get the payroll and then you feed out into HMRC and accounts well this suddenly became a much wider remit because we were talking about stock control production and all sorts of different things it was still a mainframe system looking back now it's not as sophisticated as I thought at the time it was marvelous Uh, but I really enjoyed being involved in that project being involved in the build and the testing and input to the design and how it would work Uh, so it really gave me that appetite and I, I worked there I think for probably around 18 months but I have to admit I get bored quite easily so um, once I've been doing something for a while it doesn't count as a challenge anymore it counts as you know and I wasn't managing that project so I just wanted to do something a little bit more on a larger scale it was quite a small payroll so I then went on to senior administrator role and again um, that was great and, and learned quite a lot uh, and then had the opportunity actually to move up to payroll management in that organisation and again got involved in a project to move to a new integrated HR and payroll system. We were on an old AS400 platform at the time so again really significant project. I was pretty much left actually to get on with the whole payroll side of it myself with a little support from consultants from the software company so lots of responsibility quite big scale I think it's about four and a half thousand people altogether which you know going from a 300 strong payroll to four and a half thousand and then having to implement a system was again a bit of a rude awakening but I actually seemed to do better with it you know you have your healthy stress levels and then you're unhealthy. As long as the, the stress level is healthy, that's definitely where I perform really well. So completely embraced it. I love to learn. So putting new systems in, you're always learning about how the new systems are going to work and how that will work in your world, as well as how they work in everyone else's and, you know, how that becomes reality. So I think it's that that kind of passion for learning and taking something and building it and making it right for the business actually just I always just really enjoyed it so I had a little career break then I had a couple of children who were teenagers now and then decided that I needed a change again so then decided that I wanted to branch out into a bit more of a an international payroll because I knew kind of all there was to know about UK payroll didn't really fancy going into HR didn't really fancy going into sort of technology side of things. So I think I was um, 31 and thought, oh, I'm a payroll manager. Can I just be a payroll manager for the next umpteen years until I retire as I am? Because that was kind of my my career path was to become a payroll manager. Yeah. So you have to kind of reevaluate, don't you? So I thought, no, I'll, I'll go and do a bit of international. So I was very lucky, uh, went for a role with no international experience again, but had obviously lots of experience in terms of projects and in terms of processes and best practice so 
got taken on as an international payroll or an EMEA European payroll manager and then had to think about how do we, uh, we've got an ageing workforce in terms of our payroll resources across multiple countries in Europe and then how do we deal with that issue. Also reporting was problematic because we had different providers uh, with different advancements and maturity in terms of technology. So how do we align all of that and make sure that we've got reporting at our fingertips. It's safe to say that when I joined, it would take two weeks to get a full view of Europe in terms of our payroll. So again, had to pick up and learn a lot, both around multinational payrolls, managing remote workforces, learning about those different payrolls and the legislation, but and, and again about how we interact with HR and finance and get the right information that they need at the right time and this was sort of travel and leisure so it was all about forecasting and making sure that we were obviously getting our prices right and staffing is a big part of that so really interesting again did that for a couple of years and then moved into a different part of the country so changed again to a company but had a much larger payroll again. So this is where the economies of scale came in and the experience of of larger payrolls. But again, was able to, because of that experience, get involved in a a major global project to deliver HR services, which obviously included payroll. So then I was able to contribute and form the global templates for our process designs, how things were going to work, what was really important, and build the EMEA Service Centre for HR services and payroll. And I really enjoyed the challenge around that. And kind of that's just the way it's been. And then obviously went into consulting for a while, worked for the Global Payroll Association for a while, did some um, teaching, which was really good. The writing, the content, really enjoyed that as well, but did miss that kind of being in the thick of it. And also yeah. I think if you if you do that too much and you're not in the thick of it, what you're writing about isn't necessarily current. So when this opportunity came up then for Legal and General, obviously I dealt with quite quite significant volume at this point, but nothing like the volume that's here. Um, so I mean, that's a great background. It shows just, you know, for anyone listening to this, your journey into global, your journey into HR, your journey into you know, different types of project, content writing and teaching, which is fantastic. And obviously I've, I've known certainly the last, 14 years of that journey as well which has been really interesting for me to watch through and to see you develop your skills and to where we are today and it leads me lovely into the next question really which is you mentioned you've you know you've just you joined well not just now but when you joined LNG it was a, a different scale again and you're currently working on a project of let's let's be honest a real significant scale in fact it's probably one of the largest ever done in payroll certainly one of the largest I've come across so what do you think the challenges are then of, of working at such scale? How is that different to some of the, the other projects that you dealt with in the past? And, and what have you had to learn along the way? So there are a couple of things, really, I think. The one is is not to be overwhelmed. And when you're looking at larger scale, it doesn't matter whether it's 60,000 or 600,000. You still have to consider the same issues uh, and it doesn't significantly change too much. One thing we really had to do, and one of the reasons why I was really brought into legal in general, is you have to be really innovative and you have to really push for automation. So we have payrolls 
in the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands on a daily basis. So what we didn't want was any part of the process to be reliant on somebody pressing a button. We had to really kind of learn a lot about reconciliations, exceptions, variances. What could we do that would allow the payroll to run whether somebody intervened or not? But more challenging how to do that without risking the customers or risking the business. So high automation, but in a safe and controlled way. That was really challenging. I actually stretched everyone, including the the vendor. It's been a real experience building on that. And I guess the other thing that we've had to learn, and it brings us really nicely back to data, is that generally payroll people, we like to check everything and make sure that it's all right. That's that's built into our nature. However, when you've got 600,000 people to check, you can't check everything. So we have to really flip that on its head and build again lots of automation and reconciliation where we would look at exceptions rather than the rule. The 600,000, I mean, that's really, really significant. There must be people listening to this going, wow, you know, I thought I had a big payroll at 6,000 or even 60,000, but 600 thousand it's incredible yeah yeah so i used to think i had a big payroll at four and a half thousand yeah yeah now obviously it's a really important payroll as well you're working in in pensions payroll which is it's just and you've worked in um, i'd say traditional payroll we now in pensions payroll that has different kind of challenges i you you went i can't remember what the phrase was and i'm sure you'll remind me where you say you know the the risks of not getting that wrong can be significant because the pensions need their pay to ensure they can like you know they can they can heat their homes and, and things like that i know yeah. there's a, a phrase i'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll remind me what that was in a minute but what are the significant differences for someone listening to this at the minute perhaps you've worked in payroll for, for some time you've never yeah. really got involved in pensions payroll what are the, the main challenges and differences between pensions payroll and employee payrolls from your side yeah sure so having not really done too much in terms of the complex pensions admin side of payroll and only been involved in processing payroll for them I didn't really think pensions payroll was that complicated. I thought it was all about employee payrolls, really complex employment law, reward, you know, employee engagement, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But having delved a little bit more into the pension side of things, then I can now confirm that it is as complicated as employee payroll. So not so much on an individual basis. Generally, the regular payments will work as they should with the gross to nets calculations in exactly the same way as an employee payroll but where the employee payroll focus is all about employment law the pensions payroll becomes more about finance law so if you if you think about it we are holding annuitants investment we are holding that person's money in our hands safely and we're paying them some back each period so there's a lot of financial regulation around the investment, there's a lot of financial regulation around how we're paying, how we're reporting, not just around PAYE, but lots of other financial regulations as well. The tax we do isn't just PAYE, we do other types of tax depending on the type of payment that we make. So obviously there are drawdowns, there are AFT type payments, so there are different things. So the complexity around the tax payments can sometimes be quite high especially where you're looking at rules on whether the when the annuitant dies for example if they're under 75 and the spouse has that their pension within two years that's tax-free but 
otherwise it's not and it could be subject to different types of tax whether they have it in a single payment or whether they have it as a regular pension and that's only just one of the items that we're looking at in the RTI files the complexity is all around which fields in RTI you put those particular payments so it's more the the off cycle or the single payments rather than the regular payments that's really where it becomes very very complicated and it, and as you mentioned we have annuities ranging in, in value enormously and the majority of them are not high so pensioners are really relying on these funds and if we get it wrong it could be a choice of heat or eat and you could say eat or heat it doesn't matter which way around but that's the real choice that they might have to make if we get it wrong and we have to be really conscious of that yeah yeah and that, that really when you said that to me the first time we spoke that that really pushed it home for me because you know most of us as employees are waiting on their pace that we you know money is, is vitally important to all of us working but you would like to think you can survive for a short period if there's an error and we can try and get it corrected or whatever but actually yeah. for a lot of these individuals it, it can be the difference and we know how a lot of pensioners can be in a vulnerable position if, if their heating meter for example does stop because they'd be paid correctly so that really that really pushed it home it's, it's something that I hadn't considered when when placing uh, pensions peril positions in the past and I think that was a really important um, point to make so bringing it back to the project Jeanette because you are as you say 600,000 it's a huge transformation how far along are you in your project deliverables at the moment and what have you learned so far so we are just over halfway now we've got just over 300,000 on the new systems we do it in in tranches so we break it down and say Anywhere between 10,000 and 60 odd thousand people will do in a tranche, depending on what we've developed functionality wise. We work in an agile way. So we do it iteratively. So we might pick a particular type of product that we do and then develop the functionality around that and then develop the policies that are specific to that. So, um, what have I learned along the way? So, we use agile methodology, which I hadn't used before coming to LNG. It's been a learning experience for everyone on the team because we we hadn't used it as a team either. So we've gone from waterfall to agile quite early on in the project. But learning agile has been really useful. It's kind of taken away the risks of Big Bang and really opened my eyes to how you can deliver partially but successfully. And, and you know, we are delivering a, a product that's viable and working but over a specific group of people if I'd thought about trying to do that previously I think that would have filled me with with dread but mm. having been kind of inbred in, in kind of waterfall tech methodology that's how you do it you start you plan and you deliver by a deadline in the end and changing that was a, a real challenge but actually a really really good one and the really great thing about working that way is the retrospective so the less you you do a lessons learned every single time that you complete a pi a program increment so after you've done your code drop and your data migration, you'll then do a retrospective, what worked well, what didn't work well. You fine tune and you hone what you're doing. So really the way we run the project has got better each time. The way we run the migrations has got better each time. The way we've developed our operating model to match those changes, because obviously there are lots of challenges around old world versus new world we're still running the old world and the new world so that's that's really tough actually for the team yeah. because they have to have a hand in both camp and in the old world 
we won't necessarily see some of the benefits of the, the reduction in timescales that we do in the new world until everybody's off that old platform. So still lots of drain on resources in that area, but they are also able to see from that new world what it's going to mean for them in the future and how much faster the whole payroll process works. So we're already starting to build some of those value add activities that we're going to be able to do because of those benefits in time saving. So, you know, it's all about increasing the governance and the compliance and protecting our customers. That's our, our real focus at legal in general for LGRR. The whole focus is about customer experience and making sure that we we give the absolute best experience we possibly can to the customers. So anything that we can do to improve our delivery ultimately benefits the customers. It means that we're you know much more scalable now and we can deal with even more. Great. Well, you're stealing away my next question, Nick, which is how does this project aid your business strategies? But you kind of just answered that a little bit. But you know, it, can you build on that a little bit more? So from a from us, we talked earlier on about the relationship with the other stakeholders, with finance, with HR, with reward, with with other business leaders as well. How does yeah. this transformation project relate to the wider strategy? Those organisation objectives for LNG. You know, this is I think this is incredible because this is a great example that you're you're describing now of how payroll can really impact a wider, a broader organisational objective that that wants to be achieved by a business and. As you know, if you assuming you do achieve it, and I, it sounds like what you just mentioned, the second half is going to be much easier than the first half, right? Because you're learning as you go, so it's going to be a cinch. Yeah. This is what I'm thinking. So, assuming that happens and you get it all delivered, how does this really play into those organisational objectives, and what, what what are you going to be achieving uh, for the business? So, there's there's probably a couple of things really. The first one is about the scalability. Um, we were with the old legacy system, we weren't able to scale any further, and using the new platforms we were able to scale to a much bigger size of population. So we're constantly doing volume testing, constantly stressing the systems to see how they cope. And that's something that we're, again, fine-tuning. We'll do a particular volume test. We will fine-tweak. So you can, I don't want to get into too much technically, but you can multi-thread and index and do different things on systems that constantly improve their processes. And we've been able to do that, which is great. So we can go after larger books of business where we can take on more volume and not worry about whether we can sustain that. So that's the first thing. The next thing is we've very much got a a digital eye for the future. So um, legal in general really wants to be able to get the customers to self-serve where they want to, but give them the choice. If they don't want to, then obviously they can still come and speak to a human or they can do multi-channel and that's that's the thing is to give them the choice of how they best want to work with us and obviously as time goes on more people want to self-serve digitally than they would have previously so we really want to be able to give the customers that that choice and that's a, a big business strategy as well and and the main strategy and this kind of goes back to the first thing I was talking about do you want white glove service or do you want standardization? So legal in general, it's all about the customer experience. They don't want white glove, but they don't want standardization to a point that actually it becomes uncustomer friendly. So it's in that balance, right? And we're really able to help with this solution, make that happen. Great. And actually, it ties in again to, again, making payroll profitable. If you can now scale, if you can win more customers on the back of that scalability, 
then that's adding directly to the bottom line of what LNG can provide to customers. That means more business. And that's a great example as well of how we can make payroll profitable. And I can, I can see what's caught your attention. You mentioned there that you love to learn earlier on and you've moved yeah. from waterfall to agile. So that's obviously keeping you fully engaged despite the stresses as well. I should also add, we're going to jump in a minute to find a little bit more about you. But just before we do, for those not familiar, you're managing to run this payroll with a team size, I think if I recall this correctly, of 12 or 13 which is remarkable. I'm going to, just for people listening now, before before we come back um, into, well, when we come back to the next section of this podcast, we're going to find a little bit more about your team and your management style. But for anyone listening and going, wow, how on earth can you manage 600,000 people on your payroll with a team of 12 or 13? Stay tuned. We're going to talk about that more in part two. Before we do, Jeanette, um, let's find out a little bit more about you. So some quick questions. How do you relax in your downtime? I think I know the answer to this, but those others listening to this may not so how do you how do you chill out when you're you're at home payroll is run for the day you need to sit back kick back and relax how do you do that so I like to do a bit of art or or craft stuff or sculpture so that's my go-to thing spending time with my family is really important as well but if I if I feel like I really need to relax and shut off the best way for me to do that is to draw paint sculpt craft I do all sorts of weird wonderful things and again it's that learning thing so I like to try different things it means that I'm having to completely focus on that so all that noise goes away or in my brain which is great love that and very very talented too for anyone that sees those pictures occasionally posted on social very very good and who are the two people who have been the most influential to you in your career so in the early days I had a manager called Dave Biggs and he was a payroll manager. He was the loveliest bloke you would ever wish to meet. And I'd interacted with a few payroll managers before and they'd always been quite stern. And Dave was the first one that really showed me that you didn't have to be stern to get things done. You didn't have to say no all the time. You didn't have to be a blocker. Actually, you could be the enabler. And he was a real pleasure to work for. Uh, and I felt much more comfortable with that style. And initially, when I first became a payroll manager, I tried the other style and it, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. I wasn't happy, but nobody else around me was particularly yeah. happy either. He gave me the confidence to know that I could be not that person and still get the job done and enjoy it whilst I was doing it. Yeah. Um, second, I guess it's got to be Kate. Upcraft. Kate Upcraft has always been a massive inspiration to me. She's a real expert in her field. She's so well respected in payroll and Kate knows everything there is to know about payroll in the UK, gets involved in consultation. Yeah, she's the voice of payroll, isn't she, for anything in the team. She is. I've had her on the podcast as well, and she's definitely a voice, a voice for many people. And she gives up a lot of her time on a pro bono basis to support anyone. She's just passionate about supporting others to run an accurate function, which is great. So two great examples. And a big shout out to Dave Biggs as well. So that's fantastic. If you could invite three people to a dinner party, they can be dead or alive. Who would they be and why? Cool. That's a really difficult question. So David Bowie would be one. Wow. Love that. Because of uh, how creative he is. And apparently he's got, he had a really great sense of humour. Leonardo da Vinci, I would have to say would be another one, again, going back to the art stuff, but but he was just so clever and incredible that you just couldn't, you know, I could probably talk to him for days and days and days and still feel like I hadn't got anywhere near 
enough of his knowledge. Never had that as an answer before. So that's a nice. Oh, really? No. Oh, that's yeah. good. Um, and then the third, I'd probably have to go for a bit of comedy because it's all very serious, the the um, Leonardo da Vinci stuff. So I'd have to go for a little bit more lighthearted stuff. And it would probably be somebody like Dawn French. Because she's very funny. Perfect. Perfect. Great dinner table. Fantastic. Well, this is the last question. We're going to jump back into the content of the, of the, uh, the podcast on the payroll side. If you didn't work in payroll, what would you be doing? Oh, if I didn't work in payroll and money was no object, I'd like to think that I would be a philanthropist. Nice. Nice. You know, we had a philanthropist on the podcast not too long ago in Steve Sowitz as well. So if you haven't checked out that mm. episode and you're listening to this now, really go and find one of the back episodes. But it was a, someone, a fascinating talk about an individual, a payroll individual whose ambition is to give away one billion pounds uh, to charities, but a philanthropist. Any particular cause that you would look to support in, in, in those endeavours? Uh, no, I like to, I'd like to have lots of fingers in lots of pies. So I'd like to be able to help lots of causes. I think I would, I'd feel like I was neglecting others if I focused on one particularly. Great, cool. Well, listen, we're going to jump back into the, into the content of payroll in just a moment. We're going to go for a quick advert break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what your favourite type of project is. So stay tuned. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. So, Jeanette, may I ask you, what is your favourite type of project? Is it systems implementation? Is it lean management? Is it process improvement or something else? If you could choose your next project or your, you could only ever do one project, what type of project would it be? Um, so if I had to choose between those three types of project, I guess process would be my favourite. Um, although you could argue that lean is part of that and also systems to an extent because when you do process improvement it's not just about the process around the system sometimes it's changes and lean because you're trying to eliminate waste whenever you do a process improvement right so yeah that would be the ultimate and mostly because when you're looking at process improvements helping the people that are trying to do the work sure no, that makes that that makes total sense. Now, of course, you're someone as well who who possesses the coveted MSc in payroll. Um, I know you've got experience. You mentioned waterfall and but a number of sort of different project related uh, skills and certifications as well. If I was a, a payroll manager listening to this and um, you know I really wanted to get ahead in my payroll career, can you tell me a little bit about how those extracurricular qualifications have helped you in your payroll career? Are there any particular pathways you'd recommend? Yeah, so. Doing the masters in in payroll management was a huge help to me in my career, uh, mostly because it allowed me to take a step back from the day to day and the practical and look at the theoretical. It also helped me to look at different areas of a business so that I could understand 
more and was less blinkered in terms of my approach. So I had understand a little bit more about strategic finance, uh, strategic sales and how the economy can affect us and various different things that I hadn't really taken too much consideration of before. So it really helped me actually to kind of raise my game in terms of adding value because I understood how things worked more so I could add value in a more focused way. Right. Immeasurable, really. Project methodologies, I would say it's it's really useful to have an overview of how these things work. But unless you're going to work in a project, I wouldn't get too ingrained in it unless that's what really floats your boat, in which case definitely learn more about different methodologies. Agile is becoming more and more popular compared to waterfall. So that's definitely I'd be more inclined to go that way uh, than any other but that can also help you with just the small things that you do within the business when you're organizing a small change. If you've got some some knowledge of, of project methodology, it means that you put things together in a better way. You're more controlled in the way you do things and it's clearer to people the successes that you're getting. Yeah, no, great. So let's say that I'm a, I'm a payroll manager now. I've I've been working in UK payroll for some time. I may have had a bit of exposure to global payroll. I've completed the qualification, maybe the CIPP or, CIPP or an equivalent qualification. And I'm thinking, you know what? I want to develop beyond hands-on payroll management. I want to work in a more project or, or transformation-focused capacity. But I'm struggling with the chicken and egg scenario. I haven't got that experience on my CV, so I'm not getting the opportunities to get it. But I really want to go in that direction. What advice would you give to someone who wants to develop their career in that pathway? Are there any, any things that you've done that allowed you to progress your career or, you know, any advice you would give? So there's a, a couple of things. I've always just kind of jumped in and I've been really lucky that I've been presented with some great opportunities to learn as I go and a lot of the times when companies are interviewing you they're more interested in your aptitude and your attitude than the skills that you might already have developed if you've shown that you've got the right fit culturally they'll be more interested but there are things that you can do so you can go online uh, and do lots of research so scaled agile is um, quite well documented you can go onto websites and do a lot of reading about Scaled Agile. You can do the same thing about lean, high-performing teams, depending on the country, into different country payrolls. But in terms of training, I would definitely recommend a higher level qualification because it is really about that lifting yourself up to a strategic level. Get yourself a mentor. That's another really good way of doing it because it can kind of help you open your eyes. It's actually quite challenging to go from a day-to-day or an operational manager into a more strategic or project-related manager. It's it's quite tough. Sometimes it's quite hard to let go, but also to know when it's appropriate not to let go because you if you lose touch in terms of all of those operational things, then you're not that useful even as a, uh, a project person. So a couple of things really there to help, I think. But mostly, if you're interested in something, and you want to get into it, then get into it. You you can, in your own organisation, you can get involved in different projects as long as you are willing to put in the time and the effort. And that's the other thing that I've done really in my career is I've never really said no to a project, whether I think it's something that I should be doing or not. Uh, And I fully embraced it and felt the fear and embraced it and done it anyway, because that's the only way you're going to learn sometimes. 
So don't dip your toe in. Dive straight in and go for it. But say, a good example, I'm going to take, change a little bit and talk a little bit about management now because unbeknownst to the people listening to this, there's no reason they would know. But it's a really small world sometimes. And I've discovered that Jeanette has actually been working with one of my closest friends from my hometown in Salisbury. I've known her since she was five years old. Um, she spoke at my wedding. That's how close we are. And I got married 13 years ago. And you, she, this individual has been your scrum master on the Transformation Projects until recently. And yeah. I actually met this individual over the weekend. She came to see me. And we were talking about Jeanette and just how amazing Jeanette is at managing her teams and how much my, my, my friend Jane has enjoyed working with you. So I want to ask you what the secret is to managing such a high-scale pensions payroll operation with what I would consider quite a small team in in comparison to the size of your payroll operation, which I think, if I recall, is 12 or 13 in terms of its size. So yeah. if I'm listening to this going, you know what, God, I really struggle with the leadership piece. You know, I know my compliance. I know my legislation. I can run a payroll at the back of my hand. But the team management piece I really struggle with. I can't seem to get that that honed. I don't know where to start. What advice would you give? And I do believe that you're an absolute expert on this, Jeanette. So what advice would you give to someone who uh, who needed some support to become a competent manager? So I think the main thing and the biggest thing, and, and this is general, but but also very uh, common in payroll, is, is trust. And sometimes it's easier to do it yourself, but it's really, really important that you don't, that you're the type of leader that pulls from the front rather than drives from behind. So it's really important that your team understand your vision and your values and what you want and how they fit into that and what the reward is for them when they fit into that model and how work can be an incredibly enjoyable thing to do. It's really demotivated if you're coming into work and you're doing the same thing and you're going home every day. For the majority of people, that's that's really boring and giving them the power to change things, to be in control of things and to have some influence on what happens in the future is vital and development is vital and really just getting people to feel that passion that you feel and to care about the service they're giving, I would say, is probably the most important thing. I'm not particularly dictatorial as a manager I'm quite collaborative and I consider myself to be one of the team and that we're all working for the same goal. So, you know, I really try not to tell people what to do. I really try to have that coaching mentality. So I'm trying to bring the best out of people and get people to get the best out of themselves. So it's about making sure that even just having a conversation, that I'm not giving them the answer, that I'm getting them to give the answer to themselves, which is really empowering, I think, and allows people to be in control of their destiny a lot more. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, listen, I hope people are taking notes of that because, you know, you are someone who has led huge teams to deliver unbelievable projects and, and payroll operations. So I'm really glad I got the opportunity to ask that question. As I said, my best friend, Jane, speaks incredibly highly, having worked with you uh, very directly in, in, in support of this project. So um, I'm really glad I got the opportunity oh, today to ask that question. I'm going to open the vault. Entering the vault. One piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now? Feel the fear and do it anyway. Brilliant. If you had the power of foresight and could change the entire payroll industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? 
If I could change the payroll industry and HMRC, it would be that we work together to find the right solutions all the time. Great. Yeah, that makes sense. In hindsight, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you began your payroll career? Feel the fear and do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Now, many people believe that working in payroll is just too challenging. There's too much data to handle. Everyone on the phone is calling to say my pay is not, not right. You know, how would you sell payroll as a career and what does it mean to you? So payroll, it definitely has its ups and downs, much like every career. And yes, there are bad days when you get lots of phone calls and sometimes not very pleasant and, and occasionally slightly abusive. But you always get closure. You run a payroll, you close a payroll, you've paid people, you've made people happy because you've put money in their bank. You're doing your bit to help run the country because Without PAYE, we'd be in in a whole holy state. We've been doing PAYE now since 1799 or something like that. So you are doing your bit to kind of keep the country going. It's really important. Payroll, I always think, for me, slightly more interesting than accounting because you get to look at the laws as well as the finance side of things. So you get to dabble in a little bit more, I think, than if you did accounting or HR. You, You kind of split across... HR, finance, systems, quite a few different things that you can go into. And you either love it or you hate it. And I I think you find out quite early on. And I think if you've decided that you don't like it or you don't get it, you'll never understand it. But we had um, a lady approach us within Legal and General recently who had kind of dabbled in finance before and said that she thought she might be interested in payroll. So we spent a couple of hours with her virtually, obviously going over what payroll was about, taking her through some of the activities that we do. And she was absolutely hooked. You know, it's largely analytical. If you like that side of things, but you're also quite into laws and compliance and rules, then it's definitely the job for you. Fantastic. My last question, I can't believe you got here already. I could talk to you all day, Jeanette. But last question, what's the secrets delivering an accurate, efficient and robust payroll service? Or the secret is to have all the right resources. So your systems, your people, your processes, everything has to work well. Everything has to be interlinked. And probably the biggest thing I would say is you you should always be looking at things holistically from an end-to-end perspective. So if you're looking at payroll in silo, it's never going to be wholly efficient. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to a perfect close because you've just told us the secret to delivering a great payroll service. There's no better way to finish this podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today on the Payroll Podcast. I will, of course, put a link to your LinkedIn profile if people want to connect with you and find out more or reach out. So um, if there are any other links you'd like to share, Jeanette, please, uh, please let me know and I'll make sure they're included in the episode notes as well. And please, of course, if you're listening to this, Do remember if you have a payroll related vacancy that you need some love and support with and you want to work with a specialist in payroll. I've worked with Jeanette for nearly 15 years. Uh, I'd love to work with yourselves as well. So please do reach out to me directly at nick at jjrecruitment.com or give me a call 01727 800 377. It just leads me to say a huge thank you to Jeanette Hibbert for joining me today on the Payroll Podcast. And I look forward to bringing you all the next episode real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. 
All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.